Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman, and this week I want to introduce you to somebody who changed my life. Her name is Amanda Slavin. She's got a company called Catalyst Creative. Amanda and her company shows you how to find your essence and get the most out of it. She did it for me, and she will be doing it for a lot of people in an upcoming book called The Seventh Level. Now, what Amanda did for me is going to be meaningful to a lot of people because I often get emails from listeners asking me how they might find their passion or how they might go after what they truly want in life. If you're thinking of reinventing yourself in any way or looking for the best direction to head, you are in the right place because Amanda is the catalyst for that kind of thinking. I met Amanda at a time when I needed to reinvent myself. This was back in 2016. If you had met me back then and asked, what do you do, Cal? I would have told you, I write a column for Esquire magazine called What I've Learned. If you'd never heard of it and wanted to know what it was about, I would have told you, I interview the icons who've shaped the world over the last half century. People like Muhammad Ali, Mikhail Gorbachev. It's their wisdom in their words. And that's how I saw myself. That's how I described myself. That's who I was for decades, a writer for Esquire. By 2016, though, the internet had changed reading habits and began to suck the advertising and popularity out of magazines. The world was becoming a different place. I needed to go in a new direction. That's when I began speaking. And thanks to Tim Ferriss, down the road, I also got into podcasting. This time period was all a blur to me because that's how life is when you're doing something you've never done before and you're learning every day. Well, one day, Amanda and I were on a panel at Chicago Ideas Week, and afterward, we sat down for a bite to eat. As we talked over the transformation I was going through, she said, I don't see you as a writer for Esquire. Why would you narrow yourself down to a job description? You're much bigger than that. You ask questions. You listen. You connect with people. You tell stories. That's who you are. It was so simple. And yet, I had never seen myself that simply. And that was the moment that allowed me to begin to understand what I'm capable of. It opened the door to everything I'm doing now. I get to show people how to ask better questions, how to listen, how to connect, how to see what they do in a new light, how to tell their authentic stories. I get to enable them to have better lives for it. Over the next couple of days, I'll be speaking three times at Kaiser Permanente in Santa Clara. I'm going to tell the people who work at that hospital amazing stories that have occurred within their own walls, stories that they've never heard. Miracles happen in hospitals every day. Those miracles happen for a lot of reasons. They happen because of a lot of people, 
because of the people who care for others. And I believe we need to care for the people who care for others. There's a lot of negativity in the press about healthcare these days. There's great stress, physician burnout, and yet when you're in trouble and you enter a hospital with a look that says, can you help me? These people are there for you in hospitals all over. And there are more of them than you'd ever consider because I'm thinking beyond the doctors, beyond the nurses. How many people ever think of the person delivering blood to be tested, the person who is moving quickly, so quickly because they're thinking, the sooner cancer might be detected, the sooner it can be cured. How many people checking into a hospital think of the cleaning staff that makes sure the bed you're heading to has been prepared properly? You can look at someone as housekeeping. You can also look at that same person as the front line against infection and sepsis. I know someone who nearly died recently because of sepsis, so I don't take this lightly. And maybe I feel so passionate about this because I used to work in a hospital, but you don't need to work in a hospital to know that the people who care for others need to be recognized and respected for all the good work they do. It's all that good that adds up to what we call miracles. But you know something? Hospitals are generally not that good at telling their stories, and I get it. There are privacy laws. Often, the staff considers the miraculous normal. They do it every day. Then they go home to their families, get some rest, and do it again the next day. It's their job. Well, I'm here to tell them that they've got to learn to tell some of those stories. There are 60 billion messages in one form or another going out every day over the internet. If you don't let people know the good that you're doing, then what you're doing will be lost. You don't need to break privacy laws to tell those stories. And telling those stories will make an enormous impact. It's always good to recognize and appreciate the good work done by others. This will lead to less burnout. This will lead to more personal care. And more personal care will lead to better patient outcomes. There's research to back that up. I'm going to bring this message to a lot of hospitals. Thanks to Amanda. I'm going to help companies of all types lift themselves by telling their own authentic stories. I'm going to help clean up the planet by telling stories that will move people to help clean it up. And I am now welcomed in all these places, not because I'm a writer for a magazine, but because I can ask good questions, listen, connect with people, and tell stories. So, as you listen to this conversation play out, think of how you see yourself. Think of how you describe yourself. Your description of yourself may bring something out of you that you didn't even know was there. 
And when you find out all that is there, you're going to feel as comfortable as if I just gave you a sporty, comfy tea. And if you put on those sporty threads, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, I've got to get Sportique into hospital gift shops. You can bet I'm going to call Amanda to get some ideas on how to do just that. For now, let me introduce you to Amanda Slavin. I'm so happy to be here with a woman who has changed my life. She has seen the change from the very beginning. Amanda, you knew me back when everybody saw me as a writer. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw you as a writer. I think I've always seen you as more than that, even from the first moment. Well, that's that's <laughs> why I'm here. It's part of why I got this microphone in front of me mm. and part of all the work I'm doing to help companies tell their story. Uh, so we go back. Mm a long ways, and uh, your company is called Catalyst Creative. Mm -hmm. So that's what you do. You look at people mm -hmm. and you see what is truly inside them mm -hmm. and set them off. Yeah, that was why I wanted to call the company Catalyst, is to catalyze passive consumers into active participants in their own lives uh, and into the lives of others and into the world. So rather than just kind of taking what the world gives you, actively participating in the role that that individual has in their own life, uh, and and really then using that as fuel to change the way other people think of themselves in the world as well. I'm going to cut to something, and since we've talked a lot in the past, mm -hmm. I know a bit about you, uh, I'm going to just cut straight to your childhood, because you had an experience early on, which sounded to me like it really changed your life. Hmm. Uh, you're growing up, and it sounds like you're living a very nice life. And then mm. all of a sudden, boom, mm. things change. Can you set the movie scene for us? Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a very small town, uh, 6,000 people. And Where I, was that? It was in New Jersey. Uh, and I might have told you that's the story that... Well, I'll I'll tell it to the well, audience. Well, they haven't heard it. I know, That's so I'm idea. gonna say it. So That's, I'm gonna say it. But it's but this part of it, I just want to notate. I might have told you because it is the most disturbing part. So I was in this small town. Um, I thought I was a very big fish in that small town, and um, it was a very wealthy town. And you know, a lot kind of changed and shifted, and we ended up losing uh, all of our money just from because of the economy. Things happened. The life happened. The world happened. And um, so we, one day. How old are you? 16. You're 16. You're what, a junior in high school? Yes, I was a junior in and, high school. And that's like the year where you get all the toughest tests and you're going to be preparing for college. Yeah. And I wasn't thinking like that. I was thinking of how to be popular and know every single person in the entire school, but... I was very obsessed with being social. I was on the phone for like seven hours a night. I was just addicted. My mom called me a, a walking yearbook. There was no Facebook. So I was addicted to just getting to know people. You were Facebook before Facebook. I was Facebook before Facebook. 
I have dimples on my back and my friends used to think that say that I was like a machine and that I would plug in at night and then come in the next day because I knew everything about everyone. But I really, you know, and and we were very successful, but the economy just shifted and and things really it, over years, I think, um, ended up changing, you know, where the trajectory of, of my family's, you know, economic future. Um, but when I was told that I was moving, I, this is the part I was mentioning. Yeah. So in, in basically in one day you found out that this idyllic childhood, which yeah. sounds like you're really happy. Yeah. All of a sudden we have no money. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Was I it like mean, a loss of job or what, like what happened? I think it was over years, you know, the stock market had shifted dramatically and uh, technology really impacted, um, you know, b the stock market and stockbrokers jobs. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily like we lost every single dollar. It was more like the the present that we had was no longer available to us. We were living in a very, very wealthy area that was beyond our means. I got it. And okay. so it was more like, you know, at the time as a 16 year old, I was like, everything's gone. But it was more like the future that you know is no longer available to you. And so we have to make changes. This is now me as an adult looking back on what, what I would have heard now. But back then, <laughs> what did you hear? The world is ending. Uh, everything is falling apart. And I said, this is the part I was mentioning to you before. And I said, you can't make me leave here. I'm a legend. <laughs> so that was what I wanted to make sure. I don't know if I've told you that, but that was. Well, you are a legend in my life anyway. Sure, so you were in right. your life. Okay. You were right. But in that 6,000 person town, I, I really did feel like I was a legend. And, you know, I think again, like I thought it was this very, very stark, like, okay, we are done. We are going to be on the streets. Like it was, it was really this now again, as an adult, like, okay, this life is not what you thought it was going to be. Um, and you're going to have to deal with it and figure it out. And, and, you know, even though you think that you've made it and you're popular and all these things that matter to you are being taken away from you in the long run, you're going to look back and this is going to be one change of many in your lifetime. But at 16, you have no understanding of any of that. And you're just thinking like, this is it. We're <laughs> Correct. Everything is, we're down the trap door. Correct. How did that make you see life going forward? So I moved to a town that was a 35,000 person town and I was, you know, not popular at all, you know? Oh my yeah. goodness. Oh. So from like a big fish in a small pond to just a no fish in a no pond, just like I wasn't anything. I was thrown out of the pond. Um, and the town was very hippie. Um, so like my first town was, uh, do you know what Jappy, Jewish American princess means? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, you know, it's just like an East coast thing. It's, that was kind of what the t first town was like. Right. The second town was very hippie, which is like a very different aesthetic and look and feel. And, um, so I ended up really trying to be like everyone else to be accepted. So, so you turned into a hippie. I turned into a hippie full obsessed with Grateful Dead, Pink Floyd. You know, I was <laughs> like, yeah, I was like wearing these like Birkenstocks every day. Like wasn't even showering my hair, listening to see, I didn't like, I'm old. Dry Driving that train, train. high on cocaine. <laughs> Casey Jones, you better watch your speed. <laughs> Trouble, Trouble ahead. Trouble behind. I don't know. The, 
And you know that notion just crossed my mind. I just needed you to sing it with me. So yeah, I was like 16 and I was listening to a lot of uh, Scarlet Begonias and yeah, big, big, big Floyd. And um, I ended up just really kind of losing myself in that process uh, because I, I was a totally different person. Like I literally went from, you know, someone that all, all my friends growing up, and this is where, again, I look back and think like the world wasn't ending. It was just the world that I knew were obsessed with these like designer bags. Like these girls were having like Burberry and Prada, like when they were in sixth grade. Man, to go from that to, I don't even know, like, Past the tie-dyed bandana? Correct. Yes. <laughs> I had a real identity crisis, especially at 16 when, you know, you're like, especially as a young girl at 16, like you have so much hormonally happening to you. You don't really know yourself. Um, and, and you're also, again, in this really difficult year of school. Uh, and so I just completely changed my persona. Uh, and I was really, I was really depressed because again, I, I this identity that I knew of myself was broken. The legend. The legend. <laughs> and I was like, who am I? And, and what am I? And I don't, I I don't really know who I am if I don't have all these friends around me. So I ended up in that school for three months and then we moved again. So now it was mid-year, junior year, and I moved again. And this time I moved to a town that where all the girls had like a ton of hairspray and a ton of makeup and were wearing all these tight clothes. Oh, and <laughs> no. oh, man. So now I'm in this third school um, and I end up wearing my Birkenstocks to school because at this point I'm like, I like my Birkenstocks. Like I kind of like wore a combination of, of these different versions of me. You know, I had like maybe a night tighter pair of pants on with the Birkenstocks. Maybe I showered. Like it was like a little bit, I was like trying to figure it out. Um, and I showed up at this school and someone made fun of me for my Birkenstocks. And I literally remember, I wrote, I wrote a note to myself. My mom sent it to me um, and I wrote a note and I said, like, as long as I know who I am, I, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks of me. Like, I will be happy. Oh, now I just understood you. Because I was just like, yeah, I'm going to get emotional. I was so like, who are these people anyway? Like, the people kept changing around me, but I had to love myself. And I, I really didn't in that second school. Um, so... Once I got to that third school, I, I like stopped trying to be friends with the popular kids. I just like went to the library and ate my lunch. I just like did my own thing. And I just was who I was. And I ended up prospering so much in that school academically. Um, you know, in my first school, I was I was fine. I was getting, you know, Bs and A minuses, but I was on the phone seven hours a night. When I lost all my friends, <laughs> all I had time to do was study and, and work hard. And um, and I ended up actually in that school, not only having a, you know, a 4.0, like a perfect average, but meeting people and getting to know people and getting to know myself and, you know, being in a relationship with, you know, a, a boy at the time who was just like such a good person. And that was a, you know, a kind of a pivotal moment for me. And, and not to say that then when I went to college, kind of the same thing happened again. I had to, I reinvented myself. Like this has been a journey for me. So it's a constant reinvention, which is why when you saw me mm. at a point where I needed to reinvent myself, it was like, okay, Cal, this is going to be easy. I guess so. But you know what? It's like, 
I think after, I think what I realized when I was constantly reinventing myself for everyone else, and then what it feels like when I dug deep into who I already was and kind of just felt that truth lead me and guide me, it didn't feel like a reinvention at that point. It felt just like, and so that's actually what I saw in you is where I was like, you've already been doing this the whole time. Now just step into it. You're not trying to be something that you're not. And so I think I now feel the difference when I am trying to be something that I'm not to reinvent myself for others. And when I'm stepping into my own power, um, tapping into who I already am to rebrand the way I communicate that to others, if that makes sense. It's the it's the way I'm communicating who I am that's changing changing, not who I am, that's well, changing. What that story told me is that you had to look deep inside yourself at a very early age to discover who you were at essence. Yeah. And so now what you're doing is you're able to look at somebody like me or a company or people who are starting these companies and find out, okay, who are you at essence? Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's where you lift off from. Mm -hmm. And so I can remember the two of us were sitting at Chicago Ideas Week. We had just been on stage and we get into a conversation and you say to me, Cal, like you're looking at yourself like you are a writer for Esquire magazine and you've interviewed all these icons that have shaped the last half century of world history but that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. Who you are is somebody who asks questions mm -hmm. and tells stories. Yeah. And if you just shift that, you have no idea where it can take you. And then you immediately had a million ideas <laughs> where it could take me. But what I realized from that and, and from all the work I've done, because I've taken a piece of that. Yeah where now I'm going into companies and I'm asking those questions to find the essence yes. of the founders, to understand the essence of the company yes. so that they can tell their stories properly. Yeah. It all came from that meeting. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, you you have done that for me. So it's probably like if if there was an app that showed like, how we impacted people's lives, like like emotionally, like the amount of conversations you have and I have had over the years, like it was more like a ping pong or like a tennis ball where it's like you impacted me, which impacted you, which impacted me. So you don't really no. know if you're finding, helping me find my essence helped you find your essence. Okay. It's like a mirror. Well, where let's just keep playing the game then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what happens to you? Uh, after, like through college mm -hmm. and where do you go from there? So in college, I, you know, I think you're going to really, I, I already know you well enough to know that you're, you're, pu you're putting the string together. Like I, I as I'm telling the story, I'm like, you're going to find this there. Um, but when I was in college, I also kind of had these two different versions of myself. Um, and one was getting a master's in curriculum and instruction and, and being an educator so I was a teacher, uh, and the other was throwing events, parties in New York City nightlife um, and <laughs> to make extra money on the side. And so I kind of was living these kind of two lives up until the point of getting my master's, writing my thesis. Um, I was obsessed with this idea of what it looked like to be an engaged student because I think there was a big part of myself that 
when I was in that first school. You know, I was constantly getting in trouble for talking too much and being too social, as I've kind of said before. And I was so bored of what I was learning in the classroom. And then I realized it wasn't because I didn't love to learn because that third school, I loved to learn. I was just bored. I was like, I don't, this isn't interesting to me. Like, make it interesting for me. You're not teaching me correctly. You're not teaching me correctly. And it's your job to teach me correctly. It's not my job, you know, to listen to the way that you think that so I need to So you are going to correct that problem. Yeah, sure. And have a good time <laughs> and become the legend again in the nightlife. Okay. <laughs> so I became a legend in nightlife, which is to say absolutely nothing for myself. Um, yes. So I ended up getting my master's in education, studying engagement, writing my thesis, and then going into the hospitality industry. So I ended and, up and in that nightlife. kind of makes sense. To you, it does. Well, <laughs> I, it, it makes sense to me. But then I know there's going to be a little twist in the story. Yeah. Because once you start getting those jobs, stuff is going to happen. Yes. That's going to change your life. Yes. Go ahead. So I ended up, you know, when I wrote my thesis on these, these levels of engagement, identifying what engagement looks like, what it looks like for a student to really care about what they were learning about, to feel like there was meaning there. Like, as I said, I did not feel. Um, and then I applied that in hospitality and branding and marketing. So I started to see how people were people. And I always say, it's like, you know, you think six-year-olds, like anything with education and marketing marketing and hospitality have nothing to do with each other, but six-year-olds and drunk bankers are very, very similar to each other in terms of getting their attention. Think about like trying to get a city banker to buy something and a six-year-old to listen to math. It's all about attention. It's all about connection. And so I started to use that into building this hospitality brand. Um, and then I felt a little disconnected and disjointed from myself. Well, Okay, but things are going to start to happen soon. Yeah. We're going to start running into people yes. who are going to make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I have a lot of those people, but I ended up working at Summit Series. And so I think this is the story you might be wanting to tell, but okay. I've had many other stories of uncomfortable situations. Okay, Go So ahead. I end up um, meeting someone that asked me to come work at Summit Series on a cruise ship. And I think your listeners might know what Summit Series is. Uh, well, to describe it, I was actually thinking of something else. Which one? Now I'm so interested. Dennis Rodman in the lingerie? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. You go ahead. Okay, Dennis Rodman in the lingerie is another story. But I ended up... Um, I ended up working at Summit Series, which is like a Ted and Burning Man combined. I love those people. Yes, they're really great. Um, it was This was eight years ago. I was on a cruise ship, the first ship that they did. Now they have multiple ships, a mountain. I mean, they own a lot of different crazy, amazing things. Um, and it's just like this place where entrepreneurs and creatives and thought leaders and all these different types of people can go and- it, It's and actually, if everybody's everybody's been listening to the podcast is going to understand because- it's got a hint of the Birkenstock and hippie culture, uh, and everybody in there is wants to learn. They're mm -hmm. coming on on this cruise yeah. uh, to learn. Yes. And so, really, it's everything in your past. And and thank you, Elliot Bisnow, and everybody else attached to it for starting it because it changed my life speaking there. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah, and also it had this event aspect to it, you know? So here I am as an educator and also doing events and marketing, and I see this experience that's about educating, but through an experience, through an event. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, I actually know how to do both of these things. So when, you know, Perry, who is the director of operations, asked me to come and produce that first event, uh, it was a it was a big 
catalyst moment for me because I went and I saw, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, it was eight years ago, and Richard Branson and all these different speakers. Um, and it really changed the way that I was thinking about my future. I was thinking, I was kind of stuck. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm in the event industry now. And, and that means that I have to stick with events and marketing. And then I saw this and I was like, I can combine my two loves. I can combine my understanding of education and of teaching and of learning and of growing with my understanding of branding, marketing and events. Um, and so I ended up, you know, doing, st sticking with Summit Series on the side while I had a full-time job. I'd take vacation days and then produce Summit. Um, and then I met my business partner, Tony Shea, at the next Summit. And that was a big catalyst moment as well that kind of changed the trajectory of my life. Okay. So uh, what I was getting into, I know that there's a strong uh, female element to this because when you started yes, to work, you, you were, you were in situations where it sounded like people were either taking advantage of you or exploiting you because you're a woman. Got it. Yeah, I probably blocked that out. That's what <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so when you asked me. I was like, see, that was nope. the piece that comes. That was kind of the piece that comes before this, right? Big time. Where you're feeling, oh man, I've got this job where I'm so supposed funny. to be happy, yeah, but I'm not. I'm I'm not happy. And like, can you just give us like a brief? explanation of why you weren't happy, which explains why when you got to Summit, it yeah. was, oh, man. See, you can tell the story better than I can. <laughs> that's your gift. So that's literally your gift. Like, you already know all the pieces that you're, <laughs> you're just trying to have me put it together. So, um, so when I was in hospitality, hospitality industry is not again, this was like 10 years ago as well. Uh, it was very difficult for women to be respected in that industry. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, nightlife. So nightclubs, like really, really sexy kind of restaurants um, in New York City, the Hamptons, Las Vegas, like, you know, the kind of the belly of the beast in terms of masculinity. Uh, and so I was the only woman working at, at this company. And I was put in situations a lot of the times because of those drunk bankers, if you will, where a lot of the clients um, were men who happened to get really drunk and act stupid. And I had to kind of put on a strong face. So there were situations where, you know, I had drunk customers screaming at me like directly in my face, but I couldn't cry um, because if I cried, they would kind of, you know, even use that as an opportunity of weakness and, and then really kind of take advantage of that. Um, I had situations where I have had customers, you know, assault me. Um, there were situations where I think this is like a lot of women in a lot of workplaces, but in these workplaces, it was even more um, heightened because there was alcohol and drugs around. Um, and I ne wasn't necessarily doing those things, but I was always around them. And, and everyone, the other thing I think that happened was everyone saw me as so strong and independent. This has been a huge through line in my life. As a woman, I, I'm very comfortable being in my masculine side. So men think that they can act a certain way with me. So I I also, you know, would kind of be with all the the bros and be able to like hear them talking about women in certain ways, and you know, they would they would not they would not treat me like a woman. They would treat they would. Oh like, man, she's okay. Exactly. So even if they screamed at me in my face, or they got mad at me, or they did this, or whatever it may be, they're like, she'll be fine because she's strong and she's like one of us. But I wasn't, um, and I kind of forgot about this part of myself. I kind of like let my feminine side die for a little bit because I didn't think it could actually live within a workplace. Um, and I thought that I had to be really, really hard and, and, you know, essentially then became easily broken instead of soft and strong. Um, so yeah, I kind of, again, had this like disconnect of this part of myself. Um, cause I didn't know that it was okay to be 
a woman and to be sensitive and to be this passionate individual like I was as a teacher, but in a work setting. And so it was a really big conflict for me. So now you're all conflicted and you go on that summit ship yeah. and it's like, wow. There you go. Okay. Correct. I can be in a learning you're environment. Right. It's hospitality. You're right. And pass the bandana. There's all these hippie types around. You're right. And I could, and I think there too, you know, I went and I was so obsessed with hospitality. And so when I was there, there was all these like really famous DJs and really famous nightlife owners. And that was who I thought I was going to gravitate towards. But I, I met these people there. You know, I met a friend who was, had a farm in Cambodia that was like helping like literally a village. And he got like an award from, you know, the Dalai Lama. And I met, you know, this woman who was doing all this incredible work in Africa for communities and cities there. And these were the people that I was like, who are you? And how are you doing this? And, and it re, it really, woke up a part of me where I was like, oh, I forgot about this sensitive, emotionally in touch, loving, passionate person. I, I really did had to kind of kill her to survive in this hospitality industry, in this work setting. I, I think that I felt like I was going to be chewed alive if I, if I didn't. So yeah, it, it reawoke that and it showed me what was possible. Like I didn't need to settle for one or the other. I could fuse my interest of being, you know, loving and emotional and sensitive and an educator with my my love for creating experiences and for, you know, leveraging my understanding for marketing and for branding. It didn't have to be one or the other. And then you meet Tony Shea. And then I meet Tony Shea. Okay, explain to the world who Tony Shea is. Who is Tony Shea not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tony Shea is the CEO of Zappos. Um, I met him when Amazon acquired Zappos uh, for a billion dollars, and he took $350 million of that and he was revitalizing downtown Vegas, the old Vegas. Um, so kind of where Frank Sinatra used to hang out, like old school, you know, because you've El been Cortez. there. El Cortez. El Cortez. You've been there, but, you know, not the Strip. So he moved Zappos to that area and was rebuilding the city. Um, and he really is, you know, I don't want to use this word lightly, but like a true thought leader, a pioneer in corporate culture and customer service and the way that we think about treating people. Um, and you, you walk into the offices of Zappos and you're in a completely different place than almost any other corporate setting. 100%. I mean, there's a huge Lego mural that says Zappos when you first walk in and, you know, a popcorn machine and bingo going on. And and he just, that's who he truly is, you know. And, and when I met him, he's very shy uh, and I'm very not shy. Um, <laughs> and I think I scared him a little bit. Uh, but he was in the process of inviting a lot of people to come to Las Vegas to check out his project. So he was at Summit Series. He was inviting all these different individuals and he invited me. Um, um, as one of many, I thought I was one of one. I thought I was special. And so, yeah, a few months later, I followed up and he put me in touch with kind of his team. And I went to downtown Vegas and he got out of the car, you know, kind of coincidentally, as I was walking up to the apartment that he would put everyone in. And I went to hug him like, hi, oh, my God, great to see you. And he backed away from me and didn't remember inviting me because he invited so many people there. And I was a nobody. Um, so in those few days of being in downtown Vegas, I had kind of put my foot in my mouth multiple times. That's a long story, but that's kind of what Tony likes. Tony appreciates people that are not trying, that are just that just are. And so he kept kind of seeing me in these moments of of really humble moments, if you will. And so he asked me to um, to come take a tour of downtown and then come have lunch with him. And I had lunch with him, and he was like, "So, like, who are you? What are you doing here? What do you want to do with your life?" 
And I was, I told him, I was like, listen, I, I have this expertise in engagement or, you know, I, I love engagement. I love education. I also love marketing, branding and experiential. I want to combine all of those things. And I want to create a company that does that for companies to create some type of, I call it ripple of impact in the world, um, to inspire others. And he's like, okay, do it in downtown Vegas. And I like looked around, there was like a coffee shop and like a Thai place. And I'm like, where? <laughs> he's like, I don't know. Just like, we'll figure it out. I'm like, no, I live in New York. No, thank you. Um, and you know, the funny thing is, this is who he is at Essence. I asked him like, if I could give you a wish, if I was a genie, what mm. would you wish for? And he said, I wish you would come live in downtown Vegas for one month. And I promised him I would do it. And I- Have you I, not done it? I, I will do it. You better do it. I will do it. And the Airstream. <laughs> and they the have Airstream. a new Airstream park now. Well, the sloth. I, I promised him and I'm going to do it. Uh, it's, it's hard. I have breakfast with Larry King every morning. So for me to like disrupt mm. one piece of my life like that for a month, but it's on my mind. I promised it. And I'm going to do it. Does Larry King ever go to Vegas? He goes sometimes. Okay, so can you plan a trip like around that? <laughs> That's what I got to figure out. I think that do. would be an incredible journey for you. Oh. I ended up doing it for five years, but well, one month they, is nice. <laughs> that would be cool. There you go. I ended up, you know, he, he ended up continually following up for, with me after I went back to New York after that trip. Um, and I actually ended up um, going to a barbecue. He invited me to a barbecue where Alex Benayan was there at... at as an 18-year-old wow. um, mm -hmm, with, his, with his girlfriend from college. And uh, it was like, he, I think he might have just left. Um, and Tony was in the backyard and he was like, so what do you want to do? And I took out a notebook and I had all these Sharpie marker drawings on it. And I said, this is what I want to do. I want to create, you know, these experiences and they, they're going to start in downtown Vegas and we're going to bring all these amazing thought leaders and experts similar to a summit, but for free to the public to help build the city um, and totally free workshops, totally free talks. Like, you know, they would be immersed in this downtown Vegas community and they would give back and we would do all of the branding and the promotions and the event production and the, you know, everything, everything single aspect of it. Um, and that would be our first client was the city of downtown Vegas and Tony. And so literally Sharpie marker circles, names of who I was going to invite. This is like people writing business ideas on napkins. Yeah. But it was like a notebook full of, have you ever seen a beautiful mind with all the post-its? Yeah. That's what it looked like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. And it was in the backyard and he was like, okay, this sounds interesting. Like, let's talk about it. And so it went from this Sharpie marker notebook to becoming this event series in downtown Vegas called Catalyst Week and Creative Week. Um, and I launched this, just, we just tried, wanted to do one event, like a minimum viable product. We wanted to test it out. So we did one event, it was called Catalyst Week, um, and it was eight years ago. Um, and we had, you know, some, the people that I had on the list. Did you, have you, you've thrown an event before? Have you thrown an event before? You know what? I just, I'm just getting started. Okay, cool. <laughs> so when you throw an event, there's normally a, um, you know, you invite three times as many people as you want to attend. Oh, I didn't so there's know There's a 30% drop off normally. Really? Yeah. So it, especially when there's travel involved, like this event oh, was- But what happens if they all show? 
even if they all show it's no, I mean, they, that's normally, well, this is, well, this is kind of what happened to me, but normally that's never the case because people will RSVP and if it's free and if it's, you know, again, if they have to buy a ticket, it's one thing, but if it's a free experience, they're going to RSVP and then they're going to come for a minute or an hour and it's all going to be fine. I'll help you with that later down the road. All right. But with this, it was 30 slots, 30 kind of thought leaders. It was for seven full days in downtown Vegas and they had to fly themselves there. <laughs> and there was nothing there but the beat and Latai. There was like really not much there. And so I invited the people that I wrote down in the notebook, every single person, and I put them on an email. They didn't know each other. And every single person said yes. And it was shocking. And I was like, okay. And so these people come for seven days. And they all showed. They all showed for That's seven That's what I'm talking days. about. Okay. Well, in this case, they ha we had to give them a room. So this is different than if they're just coming for like... If you invite them to a WeWork event, it's going to be different because this was a real commitment. Like, they need to send me their flights. Don't worry. Don't stress about that. I'll talk to you about that after. <laughs> so anyway, so they all come and they end up sharing on social. And these were people like, do you know Michael Uslan, executive producer of Batman? You would really like him. It sounds like you I'm and him would be best for. I'm gonna introduce you. <laughs> okay. He is like he is storyteller extraordinary. Like you guys would oh, be so man. close. Him okay. and his son David come. Cameron Sinclair, TED Prize winner. Anyway, all these amazing people come, and um, they it's this life changing experience for them. And I call it like a seventh level experience, which I can talk about later. But it was this visceral experience that changed their entire lives, changed every part of their being. They found the essence of who they were and they start sharing that on social media. And one of the attendees was a friend, Dan Fredenberg, who um, ended up passing away later from climbing Mount Everest. Oh, um, man. And he was dealing with a divorce um, and he was in so much pain. And he wrote me a letter after that that said the event totally transformed his life. He called himself a robot because he felt like he didn't have a heart. And he said that the event like opened him up and opened up his heart. And uh, like he, it was really going to change the trajectory of his entire life. Um, so that was just this event in downtown Vegas with these people. And it was, you know, this experiment of could this thing work that from the Sharpie markers and notebook, could this quote unquote concept of combining my understanding of engagement and education with events and marketing, um, could it work? And it did work. And from there, from them all sharing how uh, monumental and impactful it was, it exploded. And from these 30 people, like 250 people were like, how do we come to these events? And there wasn't really a plan for that. So I had to sit down Tony and, and say like, listen, I need proper funding. I'd like, I need to create a business plan. I need to have a team. You know, we need to be doing these monthly, which ended up being twice a month because there were so many people that wanted to come. We shortened them to three days because they were seven days. So then we shortened them to three, like normal people. Um, and for two and a half years, we, we created these experiences. We did these catalyst weeks and these creative weeks for downtown Vegas and brought 2000 attendees and 250 free talks to the public. And that was really what started the company. That was and that's when, how Catalyst Creative came about. Correct. Because more and more people would attend these experiences and they would say, you know, a brand would say, this feels different. How do you do an event for this for us like this? This feels different. How do you do a branding campaign for us? You know, how can you do a social media campaign? And, and it was me using what I did in education, what I did in hospitality, that thesis I was talking about as my secret sauce. I knew something that not a lot of other people knew, uh, which was how to unlock these parts of people and connect them from that place versus connecting from a place of what you do, but versus who you are. And that's how people were connecting at these events is they were coming from this place of kind of this deep rooted notion of, of what makes them them. And that's why they were leaving their people met their husbands, their business partners got funding. I mean, it, 
the stories we have, the testimonials we have are unbelievable. And I didn't even know. Years later, I'd run into people like, I ran into a woman from Burning Man. She's like, oh, no, I got seven kids. She's like, I met my husband through Catalyst Week. I'm like, what? Yeah. She's like, yeah, we're totally married. We have children now. I'm like, okay. Yeah. People left their jobs because of it. Like, it just transformed the way people thought about connection with themselves and others. And that was the catalyst for so many people's lives. And that was the catalyst for the company. It really kind of snowballed into being a, you know, a company that services brands and individuals. And So now you're seeing thousands of people and listening to them, hearing who they are at Essence. Mm -hmm. And since you're drilling down so deep, you can quickly connect them where they might plug in in the future. Exactly. Which is exactly what you did with me. Exactly. Yes. You, you looked at me and said, okay, that's great what you think you are, mm. but here's what you really are, and here's the socket that you can plug into because that's what the, that's the juice the world needs right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a – you're the best at this. That you well, are. I mean, that's what you did, and uh, it made me realize, okay, I can ask questions, I can tell stories, and then when I started, I was speaking at the time, it all started for me at Summit, all yeah. goes back to the same place, God bless everybody at Summit, yeah. and God bless Alex Benayan, who you mentioned, for taking me to Summit. Yeah. But it didn't occur to me till after we had that conversation at Chicago Ideas Week that, all right, I never really stopped to look around for the socket that needed the plug. Yes. Where could I put my juice into? And then mm -hmm. I spoke at two companies in the same week, and they both like looked at me and said, like, we need you to come in. In fact, the CEO of one of the companies said, it's your obligation. Mm, it is. To come in here. It is. And I've been doing that. It started with those two companies, mm. and now it's just growing and growing and growing and growing. And mm. I wanted to bring up one company just so we can see how you think. Sure. Because uh, you got a book coming out. Yes. And it's called... The Le Amanda the Legend. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got a better title, actually. The Seventh Level. The Seventh Level. And I was telling Amanda before, when I asked her what the name of it was, she said The Seventh Level. And I said, no, 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 no. It can't be The Seventh Level. It's got to be The Seventh Level. And I'll tell you why. Because... Muhammad Ali called himself the greatest. And it actually infuriated his arch rival, Joe Frazier, who said, why doesn't he call himself the greatest? Why does he have to call himself the greatest? And it's because Ali was smart enough to realize that when you call yourself the greatest, it stands out more. So now- The seventh level. The seventh level. I'm, I'm happy after all you've done for me mm -hmm. uh, to just pay back in that small, small sense of marketing. Well, I think, too, that's, again, your gift is 
what you just said, well, I have a lot, you just, you just unlocked so much for me with that st statement about kind of finding people and putting them in the socket. And before we jump into that company, I have to say that first Catalyst Week, when everyone was kind of unlocking their own potential, um, they kept saying that I was this incredible connector. And I was actually really offended. And I cried about it Why? in front of all of them. Why? I'll tell you, because I felt like I was nothing but a connector and no one actually wanted to get to know me and it was all about who i knew and not who i was oh and what man. they said to me because we created this space where i was able to be vulnerable enough to share that and they said that is not it at all we are attracted we're all attracted to you like you're that light and we know that other people are attracted to you in that same way. And so when we're around you, we end up being these beautiful people. But it's not like we're using you for those connections. It's it's. But when you said it, I actually liked it more because it's actually about not necessarily connecting a person to a person. It's seeing that gift inside them. It's seeing that light within them. And it's it's identifying a, a hole in the world or, you know, a, a problem in the world that's that needs to be solved and then putting the right lights together to be able to kind of be that flashlight for that darkness. So whether that is two people or is a person in a project or a person or, you know, in a, a person and a idea, it's being able to see that and then be able to fuse that for a reason. And I like that more than this idea of being a connector because I feel like it's a little bit, yeah, I feel like it's it's just, it's not really who I am. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like who I am as a quote unquote connector. I feel like maybe that word's been a little bit overused or something, but. Well, I, I gotta say, I love connectors. Yeah. Because things only happen often after you're connected. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, I get it because a part of it is once you realize that you got the juice, you have to look for the sockets. Yes. But if there are connectors who can point out, oh, you see that wall over there? <laughs> There's 500 <laughs> sockets. You can plug into any of them. That's what's happened to me. Yeah. Now I'm looking around and seeing sockets everywhere yeah. because so many businesses need help yes. telling their authentic stories. Yeah. And so I, what I'd like to do, uh, because in so many podcasts or radio interviews over the years, an, uh, an author comes on, starts to talk about their book, and it becomes, well, in chapter one and in chapter two, we talk about this. Don't, I, I would much prefer to have your thoughts and what you put in the book play out in like a real-time example or two. Sure. All right? That's okay. It's more fun. So uh, all sorts of companies have reached out to me. Mm -hmm. There's this one, it's not very big, and when the, uh, the founder called me, he actually used the words, he was almost apologizing, saying, you know, we're not a very sexy company, Cal. The name of this company is called Calyx Metrology. <laughs> because your name's Cal, it sounds like you either made this name up or it's your superhero uh, name. You know what? I didn't <laughs> even, maybe that's what attracted me. No, what happened is yeah. I got an email from him. He was yeah. listening to the podcast. And as soon as I see John's name and I see Calyx Metrology, yeah. I realize. I don't know what metrology means. Me neither. And so I look it up 
in the dictionary. And it's, it's sort of, it's about numbers. It's about, you know, putting numbers in the right places. Okay. All right. Now you're saying, what is, what does that mean? Yeah. Who cares? So interesting though. Right? But yeah. It's the most, in, it's the most important thing in your life. Okay. All right. Because I'm going to announce something now. The world does not know it at the present moment, but Amanda is pregnant. Congratulations to Amanda. Thank you. Uh, she's not showing right now. The podcast isn't going to run for a while. Yes. So when it does run, she'll be showing and hopefully she'll have told people. This can't be leaked before then. <laughs> We're not leaking the podcast, but I'm going to explain yeah. how important Calyx metrology is to you. Okay. So you're going to be in a hospital, although I don't know yeah, since you got uh, that history with the Grateful Dead and bandanas and the hippies. I'll be in a hospital <laughs> listening to Grateful Dead. There you go. I didn't know if maybe you're going to be out in nature having some kind of... Home birth, floating birth. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you're going to be in a hospital. Yes. What Calyx Metrology does is it makes sure that every number on every machine... Mm -hmm in your hospital room is correct. Hmm. Wow. That's important. Think of a world where those numbers were not correct. And that probably happens a lot, huh? Well, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert in this. Sure. But what I can tell you about Calyx Metrology is most of its competitors need to go or have the equipment in the hospital taken out of the hospital and, and brought to them where they do this service and then they bring it back. So a lot of time is lost for the hospital. Yeah. Uh, there could be breakage on the way that, to get it hmm. aligned. So you just know that those numbers are right. Uh, and so... What John's company does is he goes into the hospital and he makes sure, his company makes sure that those numbers are right. Hmm. So if you're the hospital, you're not losing the time. You don't have to worry about bad things happening hmm. to the equipment, en route, any accidents. And he's got a very small company. Uh, he's in the middle of Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. Love it. And he wants to grow this into a national company. Vermont, can you pronounce the name again for me? Calyx Metrology. Calyx Metrology. That's right. So you're like anybody who hears that is thinking, like, how would Calyx Metrology help my life? And yet, as I just yeah. pointed out, in <laughs> your most vulnerable moments, yep. it's Calyx Metrology that is going to make sure those numbers are right so that your baby can come into the world happy and healthy. So what you do naturally is you identify a company's seventh level statement, which is what they stand for, what they believe in, and then you connect from that place with others. That's what you do naturally. That's that essence. So the seventh level 
is called literate thinking. And it's when your personal values and beliefs align. And Calix Matrock, I can't pronounce the name. Calix Matrology. Calix Matrology. Okay, I'm going to go through the seven, the seven distinct levels with this process because I can't pronounce the name. But what I do, I do have to say this before I jump into that. I keep visualizing when you said they come into the hospital versus sending out the equipment. You know, in like a NASCAR race, when everyone comes in yeah, and the fixes pit the crew. car. The, the pit, pit crew. crew. They're like the pit crew of the hospital. So it's like whoever that person is, is the race car, whether it's someone, you know, under surgery or having a baby. The hospital is the race car. Or actually the patient patient is the the driver. The patient is the driver. Wow. The the race car is the, all the equipment. And then they're the pit crew and they're really making sure the driver is safe. They're making sure the, and that's where, again, that connection point, it's, it's, because when you said that to me, I was like, okay, well, how do you then distinguish them from all these other competitors? Because that's really how they're going to, you know, cut through the clutter is not necessarily like to a customer, but they need to show that the customer needs it so that, that the, so that the businesses want it because the businesses want to make sure that they're treating their customers right. So if they can communicate it in that way, anyway, I'm just going to talk about the levels quickly. So Calyx Metropolis, 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 whatever. So CM, okay, CM, we're going to say that. We're just Calyx. So <laughs> Let's just say Calix, they're trying to break into a new market. You know, they're in Happy Illinois. They want to like go into New Happy York City. Valley, Happy Pennsylvania. Valley, Pennsylvania. It's just, this is the campus of Penn State. This is. It is? Yeah. Wow, I seem it's, so misinformed or, right now. It's very upsetting. Well, well, I don't know if they're on the campus, but it's the okay. same, same Happy area. Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. If I can remember Metropolix, Metropolix, <laughs> shoot. Say one Metrology. more Metrology. Metrology. That's hard. Hold on one second. Let me think about this. Metrology. Like astrology and metro, like matrimony, metrology. Okay. Metrics. Metrics and astrology. Metrology. Great. I got it forever. Calyx metrology. John Walls. We're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. So, okay. So let's just say they wanted to launch into a new market, like New York City. And they, you know, went to a hospital and they started to talk about all of the the complicated inner workings of their machinery, their, or, you know, of being able to fix machinery. And it was like a long email with tons of details and tons of information. You know, the hospital's probably not going to respond because they're going to be like, I don't have time to read this. Like I have so much, they're, you're, they're probably dealing with administrators there that have so much happening. So if they didn't respond, that'd be disengagement. That's the first level of these seven levels, which is they're avoiding or idle from a task at hand. They're not really ready yet because their messaging isn't necessarily clear. And they might be talking to the wrong person. They need to identify at level one to make sure that they're combating level one, that they are connecting with the right person first and foremost and not wasting anyone's time. So the way that this framework works to get to the seventh level is you look at each level as a stepping stone. You think, okay, what do I need to do to now get to the next level? And you're constantly bettering yourself and not blaming anyone else. You're not saying, oh, well, they're they're just too busy and they don't care about their customers. And no, what are you doing that you could do better to improve your chances of being able to connect with your potential customer? So that's just level one for Calyx Metrology. Good. Yeah. All right. Okay. So level two, I'm going to talk about, because this is the biggest one for them, which is unsystematic engagement. And again, we're all climbing to the seventh level right now, the literate thinking, which is what you always start with. You Cal do. Se- second level is called unsystematic engagement. When you're confused by the messaging, Calyx metrology 
is a very confusing name, perhaps not for people that they are speaking to, but it depends on, again, you know, maybe they're speaking to a lot of different types of people and they have to show this value proposition very quickly. So if someone can't pronounce a name, I'm very comfortable with you so I can mispronounce this name 10 times on your podcast. But if I wasn't comfortable with you, I just wouldn't say the name or I would feel awkward and I would pretend that I knew what you were talking about. Maybe again, you know, if I wasn't comfortable with you and I was coming on your podcast and you said, do you know what metrology is, I might say yes, because I don't want to seem stupid. So at level two, if you don't have clear and concise messaging that's making it easy for the person to understand what you're talking about, you keep them at a lower level of engagement, which is calic metrology. They have to be careful with the way, even if they're with their branding, how they're communicating that, why they're called that, or you know, making it a little bit more from, from again, if they were to talk about the breakdown of the words and you know, what they can visualize this in many different ways, but it needs to be easy. Is this Interesting to you still? Yes, I, you know, I'm just thinking <laughs> how you immediately identified them as the pit crew. Yeah. And it, it, if there's a way to just immediately zoom Correct. to the pit crew, Correct. everybody's gonna understand it. We're your pit crew. So that is where, again, from unsystematic engagement, rather than talking even with the, with the name, it's about getting those clear, concise messages where anyone can get it. So that's level two. Level three is frustrated engagement. When you are distracted, when you want to engage in something, but you're distracted. So let's say again, they're trying to get their, you know, their services within a hospital. But again, these hospital, these they're so, so stressed and they have so much going on. How are they going to cut through the clutter? So they have to make sure, again, let's just keep using this pit crew example because it's so easy. You know, the, the subject line could be your pit crew. And it could literally, they could take a picture of their hospital room, Photoshop it, where it looks like a pit crew. And then they're actually, they're in one of their hospital rooms and then they're sending that to the actual the person in the hospital oh man so it's I love fun this. And, and unique and personalized yeah. so it's it's so even though they're distracted you're limiting the distractions by getting into their inbox sending a clear concise message and you're making sure that it's sending to the right person so then you get to level four which is structure dependent engagement and one two and three is all around building trust earning trust so if you're not talking to the right person in the right way with too many details and you're distracting them you can't even ask anything of them which is four when you start to be able to engage with them structure. so once you yeah. hit level four for you have to have that clear, concise image Correct. so that now that they're paying attention, we're going to move forward. Correct. And what's the call to action? What's a simple call to action? Because the other thing is about a sale like this, especially with B2B, with business to business, it's not a simple sale. They're not going to be able to then say in the email, do you want to work with us? Click here. It's going to have to be a simpler ask. Like, do you want to get on a phone call or do you want to learn more? Do you want to download this link about why this matters? Or, you know, so what is that simple level for? Structure dependent engagement that's instruction based. Do this so that you can continue to build the relationship. And so maybe in that email, again, it's like, do you want to learn more about why you need a pit crew? You know, uh, call us today. And maybe even again, if this was, this is a lot of work, but if it was a big client, they can even have their phone number on like a NASCAR Jersey type thing, <laughs> oh, you know, man. with the, with like the branding of the hospital on it or something I, like that. I love it. So then, you know, it's fun and it's easy. Level five is so four and five are in the engage bucket. So we've broken out one, two, and three into the attract bucket. You're earning the trust. You're attracting your customer. Four and five are around engaging. So building momentum with that customer. So five is self-regulated interest. 
when you're piquing someone's interest and getting them excited. So now maybe again, like they didn't answer that email or maybe they answered and they said, okay, we'll get on a call and they get on a call, but then they're not receptive to your next rounds of emails. So what can you do that's going to get them excited again? You know, maybe this is again, where you're starting to do some type of sweepstakes or partnership or incentive. You're offering them something. So maybe then you say, you know, if you sign up today, we will um, take a percentage off of, you know, working with you in some way. Or maybe, you know, you find out what their favorite sports teams are and you literally send them tickets and you're like, I'd like to take you to this sports game. Or, you know, this is where Alex Benayan talks a lot about this in his book, but like this the level five kind of is that creative way, which you really are again, helped him with as well. But like, what are those creative ways that you can get people excited, get people to want to give you something? Like, I think there was, you know, when people want a job, they can like, rather than just applying online, they can send, they send like, one girl wanted to be my mentee and she sent me a, in, in, a letter in the mail with an engagement ring that she created and cut out and an engage, like in a box and said, will you be my mentor? And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because it piqued my excitement. It right. interested me. It was it was fun. Well, you were seeing how she thought. I was. And also, though, it was more like there was an incentive for me, too, because it made me realize that working with someone like her was going to also benefit my life. It wasn't just picking my brain, quote unquote. So five is all around what's in it for me as the customer. Once you start to interact and engage and you be, you can build up this relationship with them, that's when you can start to delight them. So let's say then they've gone on a call with you, they're interested in working with you, and maybe they have said yes to a small test round, you know? How are you then going above and beyond to make sure that you're doing incredible work for them so that they wanna only work with you and become your brand ambassador and do referrals, you know, bring you in up, bring you other customers, help you again kind of expand throughout the hospital, um, get you more internal customers. So level six is called critical engagement. When you are inspiring someone to set goals to transform their lives in some way. So maybe at this level, they decide to build an entire landing page around that hospital of all the positive testimonials of what it made people feel when they felt you know, comfortable in the hands of someone that was making sure that their numbers were 100% correct. Or maybe it's this idea. Maybe they do like a, a story of, again, of just like positive experiences of people in the hospital without even about the numbers. Like, what did it feel like to be in this hospital when you were pregnant. And, you know, I could say like, it just felt like I felt at ease. I felt comfortable. I felt confident. Like I just knew that everything was going to be okay. Now that is not me saying I knew my numbers were correct. It's inspiring someone else to think differently about their lives. Six is all around this idea of using the, what you're doing and talking about it in an inspiring way to make people think differently. So that's for six. And then the seventh level, the, the seventh. seventh level, I kind of did at that time, <laughs> is when your personal values and beliefs align. So that's when what you just did. And, and I think it would, it, you know, again, I'm thinking from the B2B perspective. So, you know, we can kind of do this from a B2B or a B2C. So let's just say they wanted to reach people at the seventh level. This was a lot of work, what just took for us to get there. It's not as easy, but the way the framework works, and I'm not going to talk about chapters, but is before you even start going through this whole process, you start with your own seventh level statement. That's what I said you are so good at is extracting that. And your seventh level statement is your guiding force, your North Star. It's what makes you you. It's the essence sense of you. It's kind of what, again, you're so good at finding. And then you use that in the lens in which you connect with, with others. So I never said throughout any of these levels for Calix 
Metrology. Metrology. Alex Metrology. I think I got that this time. <laughs> for them to change who they are in the process. I never said for them to, you know, shift their thinking or their perspective, their communication to get a customer. All I did was I used what they were, which you said was, again, kind of that... Um, I'm getting, I'm pregnant and they're going to make my life easier. They're going to make sure I'm protected. They're going to make sure I can, you know, really be at my most optimized speed, if you will, like for my life, be able to not think about it. You know, when you're going fast, you want to make sure that nothing is distracting you, that, that all the distractions are gone from you so that you can have this clear path forward. That's what they're doing. So when you said that to me, I was like, cool, let's use this, this seventh level statement of being able to, that they represent this clear path forward of no distractions and making sure you can just be your best self by, you know, just making sure everything's okay around you. And then I used that to actually connect all the way to the seventh level. So once they're at the seventh level with their customers, so now their customers have seen that it's impacting their their hospitals as their customers. The hospitals are seeing that their you know the their patients are happier, that they're calmer, that their machines are working you know beautifully, that there's no issues. They're calmer, they're less stressed. How do you continue to make them feel like they're the heroes in the narrative, like they're important, your customers? It's not about you at this level. It's about really making them feel like they're the advocates. No, they're, they're the Mr. Miyagi for their patients. Exactly. So that, and how, now at the seventh level, and I would ask you this, so now they've reached the seventh level with their these hospitals. The hospitals are so happy with Calix Metronomy. Don't tell me, Metrology, Metrology, Metrology. <laughs> Calyx Metrology. They're going to laugh hysterically from this. We're like, oh God, she is not the face of our company. Anyway, Calyx Metrology. So what can you do at the seventh level when someone's so obsessed with you, like these hospitals are so obsessed with them, what could you do to make them feel special? Like that's what this is about. So maybe again, they send like, this is where I would just make something up, but maybe like they send custom jerseys to each hospital or like, an, you know, a trophy at the end that says, thank you for being like, you know, our number one winner or whatever. I don't know about NASCAR, but like they send some beautiful trophy to each of their most premier hospitals to show them how special they are. Or they have a feature on their website where again, it is kind of like showcasing these beautiful stories of these hospitals. And these hospitals are then going to take a photo of that and share it to their to their entire kind of community because they're so proud of it. But it's not about a financial incentive at this level. It's about making your customers feel like you love them, like you see them, like you're a part of them. And the, the thing is about this whole framework is people think it's so easy. They're like, well, I'm just going to launch a new market. I'm going to sell Calyx Metrology to you know new hospitals because we're the best at what we do. And we go into hospitals and no one else does. So why wouldn't they want to work with us? Well, they wouldn't want to work with you because they don't know who you are. They're distracted. They're exhausted. You haven't built a relationship with them. They don't trust you. They don't know you. You know, it's this this step-by-step -step process that where anyone can use this framework to think about how do I get from the beginning of a relationship all the way to marriage, if you will, to being engaged and really ensure long-lasting, sustainable, a long-lasting, sustainable relationship with your customers versus these short-term, you know, very kind of quick-paced sales that don't necessarily build a business. So that is how Calix Metrology, dun dun dun, I got it right. <laughs> could use this framework <laughs> in building this these relationships with their customers. And that will cost you, <laughs> send you the invoice later, Calix Metrology. You're welcome. John Walls at Calix Metrology. 
I'm just going to have to step aside and uh, I'm going to get you and Amanda on the phone. But here's here's the thing. Here's the other. uh, What I loved about what you just said, so positive. Mm -hmm. Because when I think of this story, okay, or if you're framing a story, uh, I would think, okay, what if we put a pregnant woman in the hospital bed and then we see the numbers start to flicker and everybody looks at the numbers Mm -hmm. and now we don't know if they're right. I'm terrified right now. I like to never want to go into a hospital that's what again. Make, that's, that's what makes a good story. You know, we got a vulnerability here. That is so funny. And then, and then all of a sudden the pit crew runs in. Yeah. Numbers are right. And there you can just lean back and have a sigh of relief. You got it. And happily deliver. Exactly right. But that in itself, you know, is is for especially for a B2B business, that is like the first few steps. And I think that's what we miss, especially when we are not when when we're not marketers, because this framework was an education framework that I used in the classroom to measure engagement. And this can be applied to employee engagement, this can be applied to marketing for engagement, branding engagement, events engagement. You could apply this framework to to your relationship. Like I have done this with me and my husband. He hates it, but I really do. I really have done it with me and my husband where you can actually, you know, when you're on a date with someone, even if it is your significant other and they're on the phone the whole time, that's frustrated engagement. And rather than getting into a whole fight about it, I say to him now, I'll say like, hey, I'm frustrated engaged right now. Can you just get off the phone so that I can stay focused and get to a higher levels of engagement with you? Okay, so for all the daters out there who may want to now reach you to solve all their dating woes, how do they find you? Oh my God. Uh, Amanda at calicmetrology.com. No, I mean, uh, yeah, LinkedIn. I really do. I really actually would give dating advice on LinkedIn. I love you LinkedIn. You would. You oh, would yeah. give dating yeah. advice on LinkedIn. I mean, I wouldn't give dating advice because I don't consider myself, you know, I think marriage is. But you're happily married. Baby's on the way. Yeah, you're an expert. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I, the framework is, I think the framework is the Mr. Miyagi. And like, you know, and the we. I say it's the Yoda. Like the framework. Framework is the guide to help, you know, the Luke Skywalker unlock that part of himself so that he could have loyal followers and save the world. Wow. You know, so so Harry, like Dumbledore is the framework for Harry Potter. So it's actually, I really am kind of this behind the scenes, you know, individual that that is helping to bring this framework to life. But the framework is the guide. So the framework can help without me, you know, someone go through a relationship and start to see things differently. And I'm just kind of- You know the, who you are. I don't know. Who am I? You are Glenda, uh, the good witch yeah. in The Wizard of Oz. I like because that. Because what happens is you look at people, like at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. all you had to do was click your heels three times. Yeah. yeah. That's who you are. Yeah. Glenda, the good witch. I like that. That is who you are. Yeah. And I want to say- Thank you. Thank you. For myself, for you looking inside me and showing me a wall filled with empty sockets Mm. that I could plug my juice into. And thank you on behalf of Calyx Metrology. (laughs) You have just sent this little company off into the stratosphere. Uh, into the seventh level to the (laughs) seventh level and if you're interested in taking your business to the next level 
The seventh level will be in bookstores and on Amazon. September 17th. Pick up that book, get these seven levels, and take you wherever you want to go, whether it's a business or on a date. Amanda is here for you. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And have a beautiful, happy, and healthy child. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. That about wraps it up. I want to thank Tim Ferriss for pushing me to start this podcast. It's been the start of so many great moments. Not long after I record this outro, I'm going to go meet a boy who was born prematurely at a little more than a pound. You could fit him in the palm of your hand. And now, at eight years old, this kid competes in like kids' Ironman races. He's a swimming, biking, and running miracle. Never would have met him if it wasn't for you, Tim. Because the person who's responsible for setting this meeting in motion reached out to me because he heard me on your podcast. So thank you, Tim. My life is better every day because of you. want to thank my sponsor, Sportique, for bringing you the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, and comfy tees you can imagine. All you got to do is put on those threads once, and you'll never be the same. So go to Sportique.com, that's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com, and if you use the offer code CAL, you'll get... 20% discount. You know, I'm headed to Phoenix at the end of the month to interview the founders of Sportique, Jason Franklin and Matt Altman. So down the road, you're going to find out how this wonderful company came about and how it creates clothing that allows you to roam in comfort. Thank you, Luz Fleming, for all the audio work. Thank you, El Chen, for constructing the big table where listeners of Big Questions will soon be able to gather. Thank you, Hassan Rumier, for getting this podcast loaded. Thank you, Noel Harris, for the research and creativity. Thank you, John Briggs, for the animation that will soon be coming to Big Questions. Just down the tracks. And thank you, Philip Lanos for always being there to get the job done, no matter what crazy situation comes up. And thanks to Kevin manager for being here from the very beginning. The best is yet to come. See you next week, and cheers. Cheers.